As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, listeners. Sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favor to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits, and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. Paul Lambout, Ross Emble gone, and more, more, more. Owls, do you like it? Owls, do you like it? This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Howdy gang, Matt Davis-Adams here. It's the time of the week where we get together to discuss all the big news and notes from the English Football League. I've got Adrian Clark with me today. A couple of good draws for Southend and Stevenage and an actual win for Arsenal. You must be a happy winger turned pundit. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Yeah, I'm a happy winger turned pundit. No, yes, Stevenage are looking good. And um, I tell you what, South South End have given themselves some hope, haven't they? So yeah, fingers crossed they can keep it going. It's the hope that kills you. Uh, Sam Parkins had a busy weekend traversing the EFL, a visit to the new Plough Lane on Saturday and a trip to Wickham on Sunday must mean your feet are weary. So pull up a chair, boy. Very good. Yeah, it was nice to be back at Adams Park. Not been there for about five years. And Wimbledon, I didn't realise that it was on the, uh, the Greyhound old Greyhound track, which I wasn't aware of. Quick anecdote, we wheeled it out on Saturday. Um, me and Peter Crouch once got taken to Wimbledon Dogs when um, Chelsea were trying to woo us as schoolboy <laughs> footballers. So they'll probably get Abramovich's yacht these days. I got Wimbledon Dogs, <laughs> got, port, got bought a pint, had a little um, flutter. It was good enough for me, Crouchy went off for Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> did you back any winners that night? No idea, no idea. But it did become quite... Um, a regular feature when I was an apprentice and a young professional at Chelsea. We used to go there and, and have days out. It was good fun. Excellent. Uh, though she covered half the game Sam did this weekend, Michelle Owen still beat him on aggregate after witnessing the seven-goal thriller at home part for Soccer Saturday. Uh, good to have you back, Michelle. How's things? Yeah, nice to be back. Happy St. David's Day on the day of recording. Yeah, absolutely. I should remember that being half Welsh, but yeah, great. Um, <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's time for this. Performance of the Weekend. You know the drill by now, unless you don't, in which case I'll explain it to you. Each contestant gets 15 seconds to persuade you, listener, that their chosen team produced the best performance of the weekend past. Uh, Michelle, we've already given your pick a tease, so you can kick us off. Your 15 seconds starts now. Yeah, Plymouth Argyle coming from their 3-0 defeat midweek v Borough. Got a result against second place Lincoln. It looked tricky. Ryan Lowe put their top scorer Luke Jeffcott on the bench. But within 12 minutes, they were 2-0 up. Their lightning start looked dashed when they trailed 3-2. But they showed tenacity, character and desire not to only equalise, but to score the winner in the 91st minute. <laughs> Good. It did well not to be put off by the horn there. That was that was quite a brace <laughs> that be, by the way. Um, Sam, you've gone for a Burton. Your 15 seconds start oh. now. Yeah, comprehensive victory for the much-improved Brewers at Rochdale. Five wins out of seven now, and yet another clean sheet. That's four in seven games for Hasselbank since he took charge. Starting to come together going forward as well. 18 shots would suggest that that's uh, the 
correct thing that I'm saying. Uh, the most I've managed this year. Out of the bottom three on goal difference. What a turnaround. <laughs> wow, extraordinary. Now, I could do it the easy thing. It was put together last minute. It was put together last minute. So oh, well, it certainly sounded like that. I mean, I'm half yeah. tempted to go next just so that, that I look great, whatever I put. But but I'll let Clarkie have the layup. You've gone for Oldham Athletic, Adrian. Your 15 seconds start now. Yeah, for the seventh time this season, Oldham came back from 1-0 down to win. And for 15 fabulous second half minutes, they were pretty much unplayable at high-flying Carlisle. But Hambula's curler and Piagiani's bullet header turn one point into three. They are very entertaining. So you do it, Sam. Little lesson for you there. Um, I'm going to finish things off. I'm going for Luton, but Luton's second half performance only. My 15 seconds start now. What a difference a team talk makes. Luton dreadful in the first half against Chef Wed, prompting a triple substitution from Nathan Jones at halftime, which helped turn a 2-0 deficit into a 3-2 win. The Hatters scoring with all three of their shots on target. The win means they're 11 points up on this stage of that season. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Head to at the Totally Show on Twitter to vote. Right, what say we championship? See you there presently. No, sir, remember, a tattoo is permanent, so tell me one more time what you want. Uh, well, I want Bruno Fernandes knocking a liver bird off its perch with a free kick, with Ollie as a kind of, like, god in the sky. Oh, and Champions 2021 on top as well. I can't see anything going wrong there, Man United fan. But if things don't go exactly as expected, Paddy Power's Acker Insurance gets you a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus fold Acker lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive, excludes shop bets, excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begumonaware.org. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. A championship headline, Sheffield Wednesday have finally appointed a successor to Tony Pulis with Darren Moore ditching Doncaster to take over at Hillsborough. BBC Radio Teaser reporting that Neil Warnock will hold talks with Steve Gibson over his future at Borough on Wednesday. On the pitch, scenes at Bournemouth v Watford, the kind of scenes you really hate to see, unless you're being honest. Uh, Norwich have a 10-point buffer between themselves and the playoff pack after beating Wickham. Brentford come from behind to beat Stoke. Swansea's wobble is a thing, beating 3-1 at home by Bristol City. Are you an ostrich? No, Nigel. They're swans and you're a robin. Uh, there was a big win for Birmingham at the bottom as they bested Sam Parkins' QPR. And Barnsley just a point outside the playoffs after their fifth victory in a row. Let's kick off then with the big news this Monday. Darren Moore in at Hillsborough. News that no one was expecting. Before we get the thoughts of the panel, earlier on I caught up with the Athletics' Al Herder-in-Chief, Nancy Frostick. Nancy, it's been a, a chaotic season for Wednesday and therefore for you too. Uh, this sudden appointment seems to seems to fit right in with that. It, it caught you and, and everybody unaware, I think. Yeah, it seems to have moved quite quickly. So, um, I mean, we've come to expect that from from Wednesday now, kind of um, sudden surprise announcements. But, um, but yeah, it sounds like Wednesday made a, a formal approach on Friday and then um, it's kind of progressed over the weekend and um, he's already in for his first training session and... and um, his first game will be on Wednesday, so it's yeah, pretty uh, pretty speedy appointment, but probably in the circumstances um, that's kind of needed. It's been such a long time in in securing a, a new manager. Does does that therefore mean that Darren Moore wasn't the number one pick? As far as I'm aware, Wednesday were kind of interested. I think he was on various versions of of shortlists that they had in um in early January after Tony Pulis got sacked I think the you know the problem and it was maybe a nice problem to have at the start was that um Neil Thompson did so well um in his early sort of time in charge where I think he got three or four wins on the bounce and um I suppose in that respect it it didn't make finding a replacement seem like such an urgent thing I think there was possibly uh the the kind of thought that he could have been the one to you know to stay in charge until the end of the season at least and so there's been various sort of close calls on a few managers I think obviously Paul Cook was was one of those and for various reasons it sounds like maybe with those sorts of discussions it it was always a conversation about taking the job until the end of the season and obviously that's kind of not not necessarily what everyone is interested in or what everyone wants we're sort of still trying to iron out details and find out if, if that's the case for Darren Moore but um, I think he's a very positive appointment and both Wednesday fans and you know people associated with the club seem very um, excited and see this as a, as a positive thing so um, quite quite where he kind of fell on their their list I don't know but I don't know if it was a 
a particularly sort of targeted search at the time, just given the nature of um, how things unfolded with, with Tony Pulis going. So, yeah, bit bit open-ended. So six points from safety at the moment, 14 games left. That That is enough time for a new manager to, to have the desired impact, isn't it? Should be. You'd think so, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that the team was able to to bounce back a bit under Neil Thompson probably shows that they have that in them to, to put a small run together. The biggest challenge is just, uh, I think, putting a stop to this run they're on at the moment. I think they've lost four now in a row. So it's it's pretty crucial. Um, and, it, and it's against Rotherham on, on Wednesday night. So, you know, that's a massive, massive game locally and in terms of the, uh, the relegation zone. Speaking of which, it's a brilliant chance for Darren Moore to get off to the perfect start. There's possibly even more than usual riding on this one just because um, it's a bit of a local derby, which is always um, always a great game. But also earlier in the season, uh, Wednesday lost 3-0 against Rotherham. And I think that was their kind of heaviest defeat to to them for some some time, you know, quite a few years. So um, they'll definitely be wanting to get one over on them. And, you know, they're, I think they're level on points at the bottom there. So there's there's a lot of different layers to why this one's important. But... Um, you know, it, it. I don't think it even needs to be the case that Darren Moore comes in and suddenly makes Wednesday play scintillating football, and you know they hammer them six nil. Just a just a scrappy one nil win at this stage will uh, will be more than enough, I think, just to get people um, excited and on board and kind of breathing a sigh a sigh of relief after the last few games. So yeah, it's like not overstating it to say that that this is a massive game, and we've been saying that for just about every game for the last few weeks but this one really is you know probably probably season defining um so yeah what a first game for for Darren Moore to come into be a great way for him to get the fans on side it seems like the, the reaction's been kind of split 50 50 as to the appointment on, on the one hand it feels quite progressive you know young up-and-coming manager from from the division below but but on the other hand you go Gary Monk to Tony Pulis to Darren Moore doesn't feel like there's much continuity there. I guess that's something of a concern. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, there's also this underlying thought as well that the chairman kind of suggested that he might look for um, a manager from overseas because he's kind of been stung a bit with with both Monk and Pulis and then, um, well, particularly with Steve Bruce before, I think there's still kind of that lingering sort of scepticism maybe towards towards English managers uh, for that reason. But yeah, there's definitely kind of a bit of um, chopping and changing in terms of ideas and maybe the type of football they might play between those three. So it's just about how quickly the team will be able to bed in and, and react to that. I think, you know, by all accounts, it sounds like Darren Moore's quite a strong character and that's the sort of person that tends to flourish at Hillsborough. You know, that's the type of manager that tends to work well. Tony Pulis, although, you know, well known for that kind of didn't didn't last so well with the with the chairman so yeah it's not uh, a natural progression between the three but um hopefully just a chance to to sort of push on and put those subsequent sort of changes of manager behind them Nancy Frostick of The Athletic there. Let's find out what our panel think. Uh, Michelle, is this, is this a good move? Is it a bad move? I'm talking for, for both Darren Moore and for Sheffield Wednesday. I hope it's a good move for Darren Moore. We had him on the show at Quest in November or December and he really is the gentle giant that everyone says he is. And pleased for him on a personal level to be back managing the championship. I was reading something this morning that when Doncaster got him, they thought it was a little bit of a coup. They were really pleased to have him. Obviously, he's done pretty well there, uh, leaving them competing for playoffs and promotion this season. It's it's so tricky to say whether it's a good move for him personally. I think Sheffield Wednesday have got a really good manager there, definitely. You know, if you look at what he's done, I think he was really unlucky to to be let go when, when West Brom let him go. But he's their third permanent manager this season. And since Tony Poulis was gone, they haven't really had a solution for that. And, and now they've found one, which makes me think, were they taking their time with this appointment or were they working on getting Darren Moore in? Were they trying to convince him? I'd love to sort of know more behind the scenes what's what's been going on. But um, I think Doncaster, yeah, they've, they've put out a statement and said how, how disappointed they are. Interestingly, I know Andy Butler's in temporary charge and he is in charge of the ladies team. And I think I'm right in saying that when there was all the COVID problems with Doncaster earlier in the season, 
uh, he was an interim charge just for those few games on the touchline and the players really enjoyed it from what I've heard. So they've got him in at least at Doncaster, someone they know, someone they're familiar with, but Doncaster will be gutted. But for Darren Moore, probably sees it as a big opportunity. It's just, you look at everyone that's come before him, can, can he be the man to get it right? Had to take it though, didn't he, Adrian? It's um, presumably a decent bump in wages for him, but if there's, I'll turn my at mentions off, but there's there's no debating that he's moving to a bigger club. Definitely, yeah. He will no doubt get a hefty pay rise and, and we shouldn't scoff at that. I think that obviously Donny fans will be gutted, they'll be fuming, they, they lost their Ben Whiteman, the best player, and and now their gaffer. So I understand why, they, why they'd feel sad, but look, loyalty in football is 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 a very precarious thing and the truth is if if Doncaster hadn't gone up he could have turned this job down he could have stayed Doncaster could have failed to go up and got off to a bad start next season and he'll be out he'll be gone because Doncaster wouldn't want him so sometimes you just have to take things that are on offer while you're hot and it and it's as simple as that and and Sheffield Wednesday even though the ownership situation is definitely not ideal for a new manager coming in, it's not the most stable club financially. There, there are some question marks. Um, it, it has potential, and yeah, they're not they're not as terrible a team, Sheffield Wednesday, as maybe the league uh, table would suggest right now. I think I think he has the ability to to get them above that line and, and to keep them in the championship. And Sam, I guess he's got a bit of an out, hasn't he? Adrian mentioned the behind-the-scenes turmoil, which has been rife at Wednesday for a while now. Also, the fact that he's only got a third of the season. If they do go down, he can say, hey, it's not really my fault. Yeah, I think it's probably slightly more of a gamble for him rather than the club, because I think someone would employ him again, given what Adrian's just articulated. I mean, it's... It's a bit of a basket case at the moment, isn't it? To, to be honest, so it is a bit of a brave move because we know that um, we know that the team aren't playing well. We know that they're really low on confidence, but I think the problems are deeper than that. And I think the supporters aren't going to be appeased until there's a there's a change at, at board level, at ownership level. So no, I think it's a it's a decent appointment. I agree with Michelle. This clearly wasn't the plan, was it? I, I question why any club would make a change at this stage of the season without having someone that they're going to immediately go to. So the last few weeks has been peculiar. I saw them at Brentford. It's scoring goals. That's the issue. I know Windus got two at the weekend, but they're the joint lowest scorers with Wickham. And um, it's going to be up to him to try and solve that problem. And having been a very successful defender, maybe that doesn't come completely naturally to him. I remember his West Brom team initially being very difficult to beat. He's going to have to free up some of those front players because I saw a very low in confidence side at Brentford's new stadium the other day. Uh, let's get to the on-the-pitch action from the weekend. Then Bournemouth won, Watford nil. Obviously, we're starting with the game that finished with the mass brawl. Uh, potential headline, Bournemouth back in the playoff places after two defeats on the spin. Actual headline, fight, fight, fight. Um, <laughs> Clarky, try and sum up the post-match scenes without using the phrase handbags. <laughs> I, I thought it was it was quite a powder puff. Um, brawl really it it wasn't it wasn't that I wouldn't have been even I wouldn't have been scared to have been in amongst this and I was an absolute wuss I was the only player that would run away from a brawl rather than towards one so um, but yeah it was nothing it was nothing and um, actually I was quite pleased to see it and I think the fans of both clubs might be pleased to see it as well because it's all a little bit tepid isn't it with no fans we don't we don't get to see quite as much passion maybe this season we have in the past so yeah it was it was good to know that the the players care although I did think Jack Wilshere was was pretty unlucky I mean I reckon there must have been 10 or 11 shoves going on and and he got he got his pick picked up on as a second yellow so I felt a bit sorry for Jack um but yeah it's 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 all part of the fun fun of the fair isn't it yeah, Jonathan Woodgate, you said it happens all the time in rugby and doesn't get talked about, but when it happens in football, everyone talks about it. Uh, in terms of the actual game, Sam, were Bournemouth a little bit lucky to get the three points? No, I thought Watford were good um, for the opening 20 minutes or so, but, but maybe Bournemouth just shaded it on chances. We've, we've spoken about Watford's 4-3-3 being the making of them and, and Bournemouth went back to that shape uh, at the weekend. I think you know two players that I've highlighted here Ben Pearson obviously he's been brilliant since he's gone in 
um, not conceded a goal um, in the games that he's played and Slanky's return I think makes them a different animal really thought his his hold up play his, his cleverness of his movement and makes a big difference to them and uh, and we've spoken about their top players having their moments this year maybe not having their consistency another great goal from Dan Juma who's scored now in seven games and they've taken maximum points in in every game that he scored in so that just shows you how integral he is but no I think those two players uh, that I mentioned have turned maybe my opinion around a little bit on Bournemouth I think Pearson's been a great capture and if Solanke can continue in the vein that he showed pre-injury they could turn it around but uh, I was surprised by that result. Let me say that. I thought Watford would probably go there and get something. So pleasantly surprised. Yeah, Zisco said, I'm disappointed with the result, but not the performance. Uh, he added, ooh, that dress so scandalous. No, he didn't. Um, so Watford's winning run coming to an end, Michelle, but they got Wickham at home midweek. That's a, that's a decent opportunity to, to get a back on form. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I saw, just to go back to Bournemouth for a second, I saw them against Cardiff on, when was that? Wednesday evening. And they were completely outmuscled, completely um, sort of outthought in that game. And I just thought in, in the Watford game, they just learned to be a little bit more clever. They had a lot less of the ball. They went back to a back four and maybe he'll stick with that now because Jonathan Woodgate said how they were playing on Saturday was defensively how they play for the rest of the season. But yeah, Watford, with respect to Wickham, big opportunity for them to get some confidence back midweek. They've been going all right. So um, yeah, absolutely don't think this will damage them irreparably or anything. Uh, producer Abby quite rightly pointing out the other Jonathan Woodgate quote of the weekend. I want a hard underbelly, not a soft one. <laughs> Got to love a mixed slash made up <laughs> metaphor like that. One, one quick one, Matt, on um, on Watford. I think what Bournemouth did to them was just to focus on not giving them that space in behind because we've all seen the pace of Saar in particular, Saar and Feminia flying down the right, same as well to some degree, down the left. And I think they just set their stall out to say that's not happening, you're not you're not gonna you're not going to get in behind us. It dropped a little bit deeper, and and that's what Watford will now have to get used to encountering because we, everyone's seen it now. Everyone's worried about Saar, so they're going to have to come up with a plan B and to to maybe have a little bit more guile to break teams down in a different way. I've got a, a stat for Clarkey um, before I forget because it blew my mind earlier. Twenty five months since Watford have come behind away from home to take anything. That's a point. Not even overturn a deficit to win. Palace, 2019. They came back from 1-0 down to win 2-1. That is a shock. Amazing, right? That's mm. shocking. That's a great stat. Congratulations. That's outstanding. <laughs> you can't see this, listener, but um, on the FaceTime, Clark has just crossed his arms because he knows that uh, that Sam's entered his world and he, he doesn't like it very much. <laughs> yeah, I might as well just give up. I'll, I'll stand aside for the rest of this pod. I, I can't stop that. Uh, so Bournemouth back on the horse, but Swansea's wings clip once again. Bristol City beat them 3-1 at the Liberty Stadium to continue their perfect start under new boss Nigel Pearson. Swansea taking a deserved lead. They then had all the chances of the first half, but then the tide turned as the Robins press play. Michelle, you're our Bristol City expert. What's the reaction been locally to, to Big Niger's arrival? Oh, the majority of fans seem to absolutely love the fact that he's the new Bristol City manager. I've seen some statements saying he's the best manager in 30 years, which <laughs> might be a little bit exaggerated after two games. But yeah, he's off to a perfect start. Um, but he said himself after the game, they didn't really deserve to win it. Um, and if you look at the XG, I think Swansea's over four Bristol City's was just over one. And for Swansea, I think it's it's really concerning. But for Bristol City, their confidence be hugely boosted because, as I've said before on this podcast, they've had so many injury problems. I know many sides have, but, you know, they've had a team of players out for much of the season now. I just feel a little bit sorry for Dean Holden because he's gone out the door. Nigel Pearson's walked in. And from what I've heard, he went into the dressing room before the Borough game, before they won that game 3-1 gave the players a few home truths, shall we say. And then obviously really only had, were depressed Wednesday and they didn't train on Wednesday because they flew back down from, or travelled back down from Borough. I don't know if they flew. Um, and then he had Thursday with them training and Friday match prep. And to get a tune out of them so soon is really impressive. He had them in a big huddle after the game. And he's just, he, just Nigel Pearson to me. He doesn't care what people think. They took... Um, youngster, 18-year-old Riley Towler off before half-time because he was on a yellow and um, he caught 
a Swansea player. And he just got him off because he didn't want him being sent off. He didn't even wait till half time. So there's going to be no sentiment with Nigel Pearson whatsoever. But what I think will be key to how Bristol City do for the rest of the season will be where he plays Narky Wells because Dean Holden kept shifting him out to the left, kept playing him out wide. But we know from when he was at QPR that down the middle he can score goals and he played down the middle against Swansea and he got a goal. Same with Gigi. If he can get those two linking up, despite all the injury problems, they do still have two very good strikers and they can have Casey Palmer in behind them. And I think if things go his way, if he gets a few players back, they could be flirting with the playoffs. But I think Swansea have to be worried because I think Swansea's goal scoring is actually a big problem. Yeah, they totally dropped off, haven't they? Sam, last week we said, oh, Huddersfield was just a blip, although they didn't play very well against Forest before that. What what have they got to get back to doing that maybe they're not at the moment, do you think? I think it's difficult in the wake of this result because it was a bit of a freak, to be honest. And I think it'll be really frustrating for the Swansea supporters having had the malaise against, as you rightly say, Matt, um, poor performances against Forest, Coventry, even the Brentford one. If you go back to that, they were clearly the second uh, best side in in that fixture as well. Brentford should have taken maximum points. Um, I think the goal scoring, I think the lack of depth, the lack of options there, obviously now with Morris's injury, I think Jamal Lowe's gone eight games without a goal. He's done brilliantly. So we have to be quite balanced when we're talking about that. But Steve Cooper just doesn't look like he's got the opportunity to to, to roll his dice and, and, and change the squad, if you like. Um, I don't know, maybe could have tried something slightly different. Um, towards the tail end of that game or maybe going forward because it's a very set way that they go about things. And with that, I think Corey Smith could be reintroduced just to give them maybe a bit more tenacity, but it would be obviously in the place of Grimes, Dando or Hurahan. But I think probably for some games, Corey Smith will be will be someone that he will turn to again in, in the next few weeks. Clarky, they got Stoke, Borough and then Blackburn next three. To me, that seems like a reasonable opportunity for them to to play themselves back into some form. Yeah, I guess so. Um, Stoke are not in the best of form. Um, Middlesbrough, yeah, not not in great nick. And Blackburn have, have fallen away, haven't they? So, yeah, a good opportunity. I think, I think the guys have, have, have hit on everything, really. It's about the, the sort of lack of firepower. They need to get more goal scorers onto the pitch. I think one thing that Cooper could be criticised for is he's not that dynamic when it comes to making subs. When when you're looking for that that game changing moment, or or when it's clearly not working, he probably leaves it 15 minutes too late, according to a lot of the supporters, I'm sure, to make those changes. And and yeah, he may feel those options are limited, but sometimes you've got to shake things up, and maybe that's what we'll see from him moving forward, even if it means taking. Jamal Lowe or Andre Ayew out for a game. Just take them out and put someone else in just to give opponents something different to think about. I just think tactically that's a thing that managers maybe should do a little bit more often, the surprise factor. You give a player a rest, they come back a bit hungrier and I'm sure they'll come good again. But um, but at the moment it's just a bit samey and teams are, are working them out. Finally, from the championship, as we mentioned, Sam was at Adams Park to watch the latest step in Norwich's inevitable journey back to the Premier League for a season. As I mentioned at the top, 10 points clear now, Norwich. They're definitely nailed on for a playoff place, but it doesn't look like anybody's going to catch them for automatics either, does it? No. Um, Firstly, I sat in a polo shirt yesterday. I took six layers and I only needed one. I was in direct sunlight and I was a little bit burnt as well. Wow. Gilet on top, Pearson style? No, I had a gilet with me. I had also I had a cardigan. I had everything, but it just got draped over the the seat in front of me. It was in, incredible scenes. I had a tea as well in my flask, but I only had water. Didn't even need to go for the tea. It was just remarkable. Um, in terms of the game, I don't know. It was frustrating for half an hour. Um, I thought Wickham did really well in that in that first spell, but there seemed to be a sense of inevitability about the outcome from about the. 30, 35 minute mark. I thought that Wendy and Hernandez's positions really altered in the second half, actually. They came really narrow. The fullbacks really pushed on and I wasn't that aware of this in the first half. Oliver Skip kind of fills in as a right-sided centre-half, 
which I thought was quite interesting and probably the little tactical adjustment that Daniel Farker thought would would win them the game and it's how it's proved. Wendia, he kind of rolled David Wheeler and supplied a beautiful cutback for Puki, what you know, what they've been doing all season. And uh, Wickham's the new setup. It's a four four one one. David Wheeler's actually playing in central midfield with with Dominic Gape. And I just felt their jobs were in, got increasingly harder as the game wore on because they were actually having to pick up those aforementioned wide forwards at time and track them into full back positions. So it was it was difficult, um, but it was about getting the result yesterday, as Brentford did on a couple of occasions last week. It doesn't matter how you play now. It didn't matter if the game the goal came from an own goal in the last minute yesterday. Norwich just had to keep winning. Um so they did and um it's gonna be difficult for Wickham now. I thought their set piece delivery with Jacobson on the bench, those moments, those big moments, because they didn't have loads of the ball in attacking areas, but those big moments, their quality let them down yesterday. And I'm sure that would have frustrated Gareth Ainsworth. Sam, have you ever seen a manager make five subs all at once before in a real game? Funnily enough, I missed one. And um, my my commentator was going, oh, he's made five subs there. And, you know, I'm looking down and I've I've scored out a few names and I, I was lost for five minutes, basically. And then all of a sudden he must have got the ball, the uh, the fifth player on. So, yeah, it was it was a bit odd. And sometimes I suppose that can completely disable a performance. But they actually put Norwich under uh, some pressure. And Alan Parry sat behind me or certainly he passed me on the way out. He was um, despondent because they could have had a penalty, I believe. I haven't watched it back. But I think Tim Krull collided with one of the Wickham players. So on another day, they could have could have stolen a point. Well, I reckon they took inspiration from Barnsley with that game you went to where they changed the whole the whole forward line and it and it kind of kind of worked. But yeah, it was interesting. I, I read what he said afterwards, Ainsworth. He just said we wanted to change tack tactically and maybe uh, go go and press them a bit higher up the pitch than we had done the whole game. But by that stage of the game, the players were knackered. So I just put a whole whole batch of new attacking midfielders on to to go and to go and get in their faces. And yeah, it could have worked, couldn't it? I quite like that kind of management. Michelle, they're going to be planning for next season already, aren't they, Wickham, and, and not in, in the championship. What do you think they need to be doing now to, to prepare them for another tilt at promotion? Because you can't just go through this season losing every week. Although, having said that, Norwich did that at the back end of last season. It hasn't harmed them too much. Yeah, I, I just feel for, for Wickham's confidence because it must be on on the floor. Um, but then, you know, when you're playing Norwich, yeah, you're not expecting to get anything out of that. Two knows a respectable scoreline, but it's a bit of a sorry state of affairs when you're thinking, oh, that's a respectable scoreline. But that's the thing with them. When you look back over their last few results, bar the Forest one, you know, and, and actually going further back, the Brentford one, they haven't been thrashed that much this season. So going into next season, I don't imagine they'll be overly concerned that they need a massive overhaul of of the squad. I just, yeah, they just don't have the team that's quite up to the championship standard. But in my opinion, there is a quite a difference between League One and the championship. So this squad of players, I mean, I'm not up to date with all their contract situations and, and, and things like that. But, you know, their goal difference is horrendous. But you'd imagine it's not going to be that bad next season. But they're probably just already iron up who they want to get in. They'll be aiming probably, you know, to be competing for, for promotion in the playoffs again. So I guess... If you're at Wickham and you're on the board, you're just starting to, to look at options for next season, player contracts, all the sort of, sounds a bit boring, stuff behind the scenes just to make sure they are prepared for life in League One because bar some absolute miracle, I don't think any of us can see anything other than that. Okay, uh, it's time for us to build out Midweek Acker with the help of our friends from Paddy Power. It's going to be our week. I can feel it. Last week we got two out of four and I, I'm taking partial credit for the fact that my game was called off and therefore I didn't lose the bet. Uh, Michelle, you're taking a choice from the championship. What is it, please? Yep. Uh, Cardiffy Derby fancy a draw for this one. Um, both drew one all last time out. I fancy something similar. I think Derby under Rooney have become a, a difficult team and uh, they make life hard for Cardiff. I reckon they might be able to cope quite well with Cardiff's physicality. So fancy a draw. 
I was going to say I quite like that, but you're not predicting Derby to lose, so um, I, I just think it's okay. But it's nice, Abby, to get a draw because we don't often get those in our records. What are the prices for it? No, and I also quite like how Paddy Power write, just write the draw as though like that's like some big thing that's going to happen. The draw. The draw is two to one. Uh, <laughs> if Cardiff win, you're getting odds of 11 to 10. And if Derby win, it is 14 to 5. Okay, my pick also comes from the championship. I'm going with the new manager bounce to help Wednesday beat Rotherham on Wednesday. What odds will you give me on that? I'll give you five to four on that. Uh, 21 to 10 for Rotherham to arrest their uh, loss, uh, to arrest their slide. And uh, the draw is 11 to five. And uh, if you want those two just as a double, that will give you six to one. Okay, we'll keep rolling with that as we go on. But there's been all sorts of shenanigans in League One. We'll get more specific on that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. League One headlines. In the last game for both managers, Derby, Ipswich beat Doncaster, then sacked Paul Lambert as the Tractor Boys prepare for a takeover. And as we mentioned, Darren Moore has left Donny for Sheffield Wednesday. Peterborough top of the table after their sixth win in a row, despite even Leeds looking at their pitch with pity. Uh, at the bottom, Sam Park in Swindon climbed out of the relegation zone following a win over Northampton. In other managerial news, Michael Appleton has signed for four more years at Lincoln and Shrewsbury boss Steve Cottrell returned to hospital over the weekend, suffering from COVID pneumonia. Uh, All the best for a speedy recovery from all of us here. And let's start with Paul Lambert then. He quipped after watching his side beat Doncaster. When I came in this morning, Paul Cook was sat in my office. To which Marcus Evans replied, "Uh, that's not your office anymore, Paul. Here's a box for your personal possessions. Please hand in your swipe card at reception. Uh, Just over a year into his five-year deal then, and he's gone at the time, Adrian, you called it the daftest decision in the EFL, and and history's proved you right. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, look, it's it's a shame to to see people lose their lose their jobs but it had to happen didn't it Lambert had fallen out with the fans so badly that that it was just not recoverable I think his relationship with Marcus Evans has deteriorated in recent weeks he's gone public with some sort of criticisms of the way the club is is run and he's even started to fall out with players hasn't he a couple of the the first teamers have been sort of ostracized in in recent weeks and and that's not a healthy place to be either so yeah <laughs> what what's so ironic is that that the problem the big problem beating teams at the top of the league in his final two games they actually beat two teams near the top of the league Hull and, Hull and Donny and and then he goes so um yeah that that's a strange one but but yeah they they had to make a change just just to get everyone on the same page again you need Mikel Arteta talks about being on the boat and it's a very simple sort of analogy, but you have to be. You can't have squabbling between managers, players, managers, chairman and owners, etc. You have to be, you know, on the same page. And, and they just weren't. Looks like friend of the show, Paul Cook's coming in to, to replace him. Sam, when we spoke to him, he, he kind of implied that he would take any job regardless of division, depending on the club. But I'm surprised that, that he's going down to League One, are you? No, not when... Not when it's Ipswich, no. I think, what an opportunity. Two points off the playoffs, you know, just won two games. I completely agree with everything Adrian said. I'm, I'm pleased that it, this saga's over because there's a, been a dark cloud over the place and that will affect the players as well. You know, I've spoken from my experience of what it's like being in that town and playing for the team. It's 24-7. Everyone wants to speak to you about the football. And, you know, I, me and Adrian didn't, completely agree about the the local paper's stance but the players will be being affected by that because people want to talk to them and uh, and and there's no getting away from it so I think it's the best thing that could have happened at this stage and I think Paul Cook is the right man for that job he turned a an okay group of players at Wigan into world beaters last season um, he'll get them playing with passion 
you'll get them playing good attacking football, I'm sure. I've just noticed they had five teams, only five teams have scored less than Ipswich in the division. That is unbelievable. Uh, they're, they're the lowest scorers in the top half by an absolute mile. So I'm sure that, that will improve. And more important than anything else, um, he's been on the podcast and he was tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly was. Um, Michelle, Sam's mentioned that they're close to the playoff places now, but but the fact that this proposed sale to an American group is on the verge of going through, that probably helped persuade him too, doesn't it? didn't it? Because he'll be thinking, well, even if I don't get them over the line this season, there can be a few quid in the summer to, to freshen up the squad. Well, yeah, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? He's got to hope it goes through now. <laughs> but no, all reports are saying it's going to go through in the next week or so. Interestingly, a little link to Bristol City is that Mark Ashton, who's the chief exec here, keeps getting linked to Ipswich Town and reportedly these new owners want him in, which consequently some Bristol City fans would be very happy about for various reasons that we do not have time to go into right now. But I would imagine that he would be, if he did go there, let's let's say he'd be working with Cook to try and get players through the door, whatever the situation next season. So yeah, I agree with what Sam said. I think it's a really great opportunity for Paul Cook. If things are heading the way they look like they're heading, I'd imagine he wouldn't sign on the dotted line unless it was very likely. But I don't... You know, I don't know if it's imminent or it'll be later this week. He's not got much time to, to watch them train before the weekend or take training. But yeah, massive opportunity for Paul Cook. And even though it's maybe a league below what he might have fancied and people might associate with hear him with, he could go in there and yeah, take them up this season quite easily. Now let's get on to the game of the weekend in League One. Plymouth for Lincoln 3. Argyle first going 2-0 up, then Lincoln brought it back to lead 3-2. Plymouth not content with their equaliser. They went and won it in injury time. Michelle, I was watching with interest on Soccer Saturday. Every time they threw to you this, doing this game, I thought this is the hardest job in broadcasting today. How difficult is it when you're trying to relate to the viewer something that's just happened whilst keeping half an eye on an completely bonkers game it was one of those you couldn't take your eye off but you love it like they're the games that you come you know let's be honest sometimes we have a nil nil or a one nil it's freezing cold and you're like mm, it was okay i do lo- love my job but that was a bit there it was one of those you finished the game and you're like oh that was so good and like you say you couldn't take your eyes off it at all there are two two nil up within 12 13 minutes that was just a complete surprise for, I think, the most optimistic of Argyle fans because they lost 3-0 to Peterborough midweek and they're playing the side that are challenging Peterborough for, well, for the top of the league spot at the moment. So didn't expect it at all, didn't expect that start. He left Luke Jeffcott on the bench, their top scorer with 18 goals. Um, wasn't because of any injuries or anything, just wanted to give him a rest. And then when Lincoln went 3-2, you're thinking, well, that's that now. And at 3-2, Lincoln had a chance for 4-2 to wrap it up. And they had another half chance as well. And they should have wrapped up there and then. And Michael Appleton said that after the game. But then, yeah, Plymouth are going to get it back to 3-3. And you're thinking, oh, they'll probably be happy with that. I, I think Lincoln definitely deserved at least a point on the day. But then Joe Edwards pops up with a, a winner in the 91st minute. Just didn't see it coming and... My husband's an Argyle fan, was, was sat at home, loving life. So it was a happy household on a Saturday evening, but Paul Lincoln had to go all the way back after being snatched right at the end by Argyle. And like I say, I think I think Lincoln deserved a point from it, but just one of those crazy games that you couldn't take your eye off. But a real, a real joy to watch. And like Sam was saying about his layers there, I only, the, my base layer was a thermal layer. I was also sat in the sun, absolutely boiling, but... What one of those great days that will stick in the mind of this season and uh, long in the memory. Really enjoyable game. Uh, Clark, a, a minor positive for Lincoln was that they managed to dispatch their penalties. You'll have been delighted to see Brendan Johnson earning one of them. <laughs> oh, it's not me that keeps calling Brendan Johnson out. It's, 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 it's Sam. <laughs> Sam Parkin, Brendan. It was me. Sam. Was not, it? Not me. Yeah, yeah, definitely Sam. Yeah. That, okay. <laughs> that one was a penalty, by the way, on Saturday. <laughs> definitely, 100%. <laughs> no, definitely. But uh, Lincoln have got to sort their starts out, haven't they? I mean, we, 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 we've been singing their praises this season, right? rightly so, but they're, they're 13th in the half-time table. And I know that doesn't matter if you're third in the real table, but 
it does put a lot of pressure on you to to keep coming back sometimes. And yeah, they've got minus goal difference in in the first half of games, which is bizarre really for a team chasing automatic promotion. I think Plymouth caught Lincoln on quite a good day in terms of uh, team selection. They Bridcut was missing. I think Walsh was missing at the back. Two of their better defensive-minded players. And you looked at the the team, and it didn't a little bit like we said with Bristol City this season. It didn't really have that steely person in the middle of the park that could sort of um, stem the tide and break things up. And I was thinking, I was looking at that that Danny Mayer goal. It was it was just too easy. And, and on numerous occasions, they they sort of seemed to have space there. So yeah, they caught Lincoln on a on a bit of an off day defensively, um, but the big blow, of course, for Appleton, who's quids in obviously with the new contract, is is George Grant could be out for months. Yeah, so it was really innocuous that yeah. one because I asked him about it after the game, yeah. and he was running back, and the ball just sort of sit hit. I don't know if you've seen it. It hit him just on the side of the foot, and he went down like he'd been shot. And yeah, Appleton said after he said. More than the result, I'm most worried about George Grant. That would be going to take the penalties because they get they get one every game. (laughs) Eleven penalties he scored, I think. I think it's eleven. Missed a few too, Um, Sam. That that's going to be a big blow for them if he's not available for the running. Also, they've only won one in five, and they've got new manager bouncers Fleetwood and Ipswich plus high flying crew to come in recent weeks. It feels like this is the crucial point of the season for them, maybe. Yeah, maybe, but I think you know all the. Supporters that have um, you know watched Lincoln season after season to be sitting second in in League One right now would have been wildly uh, above their expectations of this season. So you have to remember that Appleton has put together a really competitive side very quickly, and I I agree they they definitely deserve something from that game. I thought they were the the better side uh, in between Plymouth's two spells, which were the opening 10 minutes or whatever and the, uh, and the last five minutes or so. So hard done by at the weekend, but Lincoln will come again. Um, two things blew my mind from this game. It's been blown a lot this morning. Um, <laughs> I heard a Plymouth local reporter refer to home park as the theater of greens. <laughs> Very much enjoyed. And, uh, Danny Mayer's first league goal of the season. That is just unthinkable, really, because he is, on his day, still an unbelievable talent. And he he must have been in double double figures that year at Berry. what, two years ago, where he seemed to be scoring absolute perlers every week. So that's uh, I'm sure that's very important to him because he'll be wanting to score as well as assist. Yeah, three and 73 for Plymouth. I mean, I mean it's unreal. He, he was getting three a month, wasn't he, at Berry? It's, it's yeah. crazy. Michelle Barney's a very good boy, isn't he? Let's put some context to this. Barney's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Not my toddler son. He'd be causing absolute mayhem. But yeah, the big labradoodle is just laying behind me, loving life. And it's very... I'm coming to the uh, conservatory for this. Absolutely boiling. Made a mistake here. The sun's come out. Oh, bless him. He's, he's putting Brian in the shade in the sun because I could not have him anywhere near me whilst I was recording. <laughs> he would wreck it. Um, what about Wombles? Not really an animal. They're fictional, but it's a nice way to segue into Wimbledon against Hull. Should have gone with Tigers, natural animal. Sam, you were here. What, what did you make of the um, the new Plough Lane, first of all? I really enjoyed the new stadium, yeah. It's, it's great. Um, still, there's a bit of a building site on the on the way in. There's obviously loads of flats going up, and um, I, I would imagine they'll, they'll want to tart that up before um, the fans are are coming back, etc. But um, no, it was really good. Great facilities inside, really good view. A bit worried about the team on the pitch, to be quite frank. Um, Hull City could have won five or six, I felt. Uh, the big difference for me, that the front three, who have obviously been brilliant for large portions of the season, but lovely balance. Wilkes is obviously very direct. McGinnis had one of his better games and, and Lewis Potter's got lovely guile and kind of panache on the ball he's, he's really nice to watch so that was a big difference um and Wimbledon didn't really muster anything in reply Piggott kind of tried hard and a bit of a lone furrow for him but not not enough creativity behind him Radoni, Chislett and Longman with a three and, and none of them really affected the game so big golfing quality and going to be a huge few weeks ahead for them I think they play six 
six of the current bottom seven at home. Or well, certainly that rings a bell from my notes at the weekend. So their season is not going to be defined by a defeat against a team who'll probably end up in the championship. It'll be about beating the teams around them and playing a bit more football. So it'll be interesting as well to see if they maybe revert to type in some of those games, get a partner for Piggott, because I didn't see enough in that performance. If they're going to play a bit more through the thirds, not sure that's going to get them enough points at the moment. Yeah, March key for them. They've got Burton, Bristol Rovers, Wigan, Northampton and Rochdale. Uh, Clarkie, will there have been an inquest in the whole dressing room after that penalty shenanigans uh, between Malik Wilkes and Josh McGuinness? Apparently not. Apparently they were singing and dancing together after after the game with, with the tunes blaring out. The manager put put it out there that they're good mates. Uh, it just happens, doesn't it? I, I don't like it because it's happened to me. I've, I've spoken about it in the past, but because it just puts you in a really awkward position. Of course, you don't want to give up the penalty, but but it just shows that, that Wilkes was just... Really up for up for for getting getting a goal and and yeah I think they it, it turned out okay in the end didn't it? it it just turned out all right in the end but but McGinnis I think was was quite generous to 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 give up the second goal but but good on him for doing it and look it's always easier when you have these disputes in a three 0 win uh, where where the guy scores scores the goal um, yeah I think if I was a manager I, I would I would really hate it because it just looks messy and it looks like you you've got an unruly bunch of players but they, when the old testosterone is flying um these things do happen uh, sam let's have your pick for our midweek acca please it comes from league one i'm told well yeah on on the back of um all that praise that i've just uh, laden afc wimbledon with i'm going to go for a shrewsbury victory over wimbledon <laughs> um shrewsbury one of the form sides obviously lost to bristol rovers but I wouldn't say that was inevitable, but not a real surprise now that Joey Barton's had a few days on the training ground. I'm sure they were highly motivated. Shrewsbury's really good form had to come to an end, but beating Sunderland and Peterborough in recent weeks at home, I fancy them to get all the points on Tuesday. Must be heavy favourites, Abby. They are. They're 10 to 11 to win that one. Um, Wimbledon 14 to 5 and the draw 23 <laughs> to 10. Uh, treble, including our championship picks, 12 to 1. Good. Okay, League 2 next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Big two headlines. Lake Norient sack Ross Embleton and place Joby McEnough in charge for now. Newport have asked for their games to be moved away from Rodney Parade because the pitch is so bad. And four points separate both the top four and the bottom three. Uh, Orient then, without a win in seven games, only four in their last 15. Uh, this following the latest loss, Saturday's 3-1 home defeat to Tranmere. Michelle, it feels a, a little bit harsh, even even considering those stats I've just read out. Embleton, not his first spell in charge. He's been a fairly steady hand on the tiller most of the time. Yep, yeah, 3-1 defeat by Tramir Rovers, the final straw apparently. Um, eight points off the playoff places. Maybe that's why, maybe that's what they had their sights set on this season. But as cliched as it is, that's, that's football for you, isn't it? It's um, harsh sometimes from an exterior perspective when you don't know what goes on day in, day out. Um, but the playoff place apparently was the number one target. So, yeah, it's it's not worked out for him. Do feel for him. I think he, he's 
maybe done what he can. So they turned to someone they absolutely love at that club for now. And it'd be interesting to see if if Joby McEnough is the man that can turn the tide slightly. Yeah, I think what happened, I, I spoke earlier on in the season about how Leighton Orient had kept the team together from last year. You know, it was, it was quite a set of group. And in January, they did bring in a lot of players. And I read some quotes from their, their chief executive who said, our transfer committee got together in January and decided to go for promotion. So we we speculated, you know, we spent some money on, on bringing in new players. And sometimes it can backfire. It's as simple as that. Sometimes the, the new faces might not gel and, and the good vibe that you had going. Let's be honest, they had a pretty good thing going. They were scoring a lot of goals late in Orient. Um, conceded lots, but but scored. Um, yeah, and it's flipped. It's flipped around. They've you know been better at the back, but 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 scoring just twice in the last seven games. So yeah, you do wonder whether that that dressing room environment just changed for the for the worse. Um, that, that's a, that's a possibility. Um, but yeah, it, it feels harsh. But but look, we wish Joby Mack enough the best the best of luck, don't we? He's, he speaks really well. He's he's a, he's an excellent pundit. Can he turn that sort of football intelligence into into being a good manager? Quite possibly, I'm sure. He's among the favourites, Sam, to get the gig on a, on a full time basis. I just wonder if it if it's better to just make a clean break and get somebody not associated with the old regime. We saw how it, how it worked out for Jason Tindall at Bournemouth. Yeah, I'd be surprised if um, Joby steps into the breach now. Um, completely agree with what Michelle and Adrian said. Maybe the ambition was to get into the playoffs. I, I thought they were I thought the squad was good enough this year. I kind of fancied them to, to go better. So to be in this position obviously left the the, the owner and the, the supporters somewhat disappointed. Um but they've made a couple of ricks, haven't they, in terms of managerial appointments in, in the in the last few years, obviously with Carl Fletcher. Carl Fletcher, that's right, isn't it? Yep. And Steve Davis, I think, preceded him as well. So and Ross, I think, reluctantly took the job. I mean I know Ross relatively well after his spell at Swindon. He's a really good guy, but I think he's a very good coach. Whether he he wanted to be thrown into the to the breach was, you'd, you'd have to ask him. But I'd be surprised if it's not someone with a bit more experience. Um, and I, I probably don't think they're going to make it this season. But why not give a new manager an opportunity because they're not going to go down? So I can see the sense in making the decision now. I suppose. In terms of the weekend's games, Forest Green Rovers sported a new kit made from recycled coffee waste and plastic bottles as they saw off Colchester 3-0 at the new lawn. Uh, Coffee aside, I'll be pointing out Matt and Adam's key names in this game, uh, not just on this show. Uh, I just love Forest Green Rovers. They just totally pander to everything that I want in a football club. (laughs) Can I I just say on that, Uh, Mark Cooper spoiled (laughs) what would have been a beautiful moment in the game by bringing on Davison for Adams, because then we could have had Matt Davison Adams. Oh, Cooper, what are you playing at? Um, well, hopefully we'll get that at some point. Um, <laughs> anyway, they they had a good win, <laughs> which was good. Um, yeah, given that they'd lost to Southend in, in the week, Sam, this was an important result for them and, and another comfortable win. You, you've tipped them to be there or thereabouts. It looks as though they've got the staying power. They're doing better than Salford, aren't they, at the moment? My <laughs> Salford have dropped to ninth. Um, I'm not going to... I hate when people say it's not a good division and and such like, but I don't think there's an outstanding team this year or an outstanding couple of teams. So it, it really is up for grabs. It's obviously a good game for Forest Green, given that it's um, a culture that they were facing 13 games now without a win. They didn't muster a, a shot. So uh, that, that that shows you where they are. Uh, obviously, Wayne Brown's in, in interim charge and we can't judge him on that. Um, have to give him an opportunity to get his ideas across in the next few weeks and try and galvanise what is a young squad at Colchester, which are really lacking in belief in attacking areas. That creativity is the, the big issue there. But yeah, convincing all-round display from um, Forrest Green. Kane Wilson, only his fifth start of the season, was outstanding. And Jamil Matt and, and Collins are really good pairing. And and Matt, I did get right this season because I thought he was one of the best signings, definitely, going into this campaign. Led the line brilliantly. He is as old-fashioned as they come in terms of a centre-forward. You can hit it long from anywhere and he will do his best to get hold of it or knock it down for a teammate. So he's a great he's a great 
focal point at League Two level. And even with 10 men um, in the second half, Colchester didn't really threaten. So it was a pretty complete day for Forest Green. I think Colchester need to get a firefighter in pretty quickly, Clarkie, or, or are they going to stick with, with Wayne Brown for a bit? Because the, the results are only going one way at the moment. No, give Wayne Brown a chance. I mean, it's his, it's his first game. I mean, he's only really able to take charge because of the, the pandemic, because he's actually the manager, I believe, still, of Molden and Tiptree, who have had their season suspended. And he works for the club in, in the academy anyway during the days and, and he's just been promoted. So he wouldn't ordinarily be able to do this job. He's a very experienced manager now at, well, not very experienced, but he's been knocking around as a gaffer in non-league for a while. I've spoken to him before I've interviewed him. He's, you know, he's, he's pretty screwed on. He's, he, he know, he's got his head screwed on. He's, he, knows his, he knows his stuff, but this was a really flat start for him. You're looking for a reaction, aren't you, from the players and to have no shots on target and, and one of the players afterwards was talking about how Forest Green were cheering from the side and and and, and sort of geeing one another up the whole game. And he said we, it was almost silent on the pitch for Colchester United. That that's a bit of a worry. I just looked at the bench, saw Courtney Senior and Giovanni Brown on the bench for for, for Colu. I think you've just got to find a way to get guys like that into the team and, and to get some goals because yeah, it's been a shocking run. Worst team in the division over the last 12 games, just for just five points. Last time they won, we all thought we were going to have Christmas together. And that never happened. I mean, 8th of December, it, it, like that's how long ago it is since, since they tasted, tasted victory Colchester. So yeah, they, they, he's got to find a reaction. Otherwise they're sleepwalking their way into the bottom two. And their next two games, Michelle, both at home, but against Carlisle and Newport, it gives encouragement to the teams immediately below them. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned Newport not even wanted to play on their own pitch. So, you know, they'll be. That can't be allowed, can it? You can't just say, we've got a rubbish pitch, can we swap, can you? I've got no idea. There are a few pitches around Newport they could use, but it depends on FA regulations and stuff, doesn't it? Because there's Dragon Park and there's a couple of other places they could go, but I'm not sure. Because where they train at the athletic stadium, the pitch is way better there and it's a stadium, but. There's got to be a few things you've got to pass through to, to get that through, media requirements and what have, what have you. But yeah, yeah, two tricky ties for Colchester coming up. I know Newport haven't exactly been set in the world of light since New Year. But um, yeah, I think I think it's looking really, really tough for them. Whereas Newport, like I said, be happy to go away from home. But I think Newport, sadly, might be slipping out the, the playoffs, playoff positions slowly but surely. But like Sam said, there's just no one who really lights up the league this season in a big way. Uh, Clarky, your pick for our Acker comes from League Two, I'm told. Yeah, I've gone for Salford. Um, Salford, obviously, just about still unbeaten at home. They came close the other day, didn't they, to, to relinquishing the record. But yeah, they're still unbeaten at home. Too many draws, but but they've got Port Vale. Um, and Port Vale haven't scored in the last couple of games. They've gone to a back five that they used against Cambridge. Didn't really look like scoring in, in that particular game. So, so yeah, I think they're going to find it even tougher against against Salford on the road. Um, Port Vale haven't won away since since early December either. So, so yeah, Salford to beat Port Vale, please. Odds on that, Abby? As you've asked so very politely there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Salford are 10 to 11 to beat Port Vale. Port Vale 3 to 1 and the draw 12 to 5. Our Acker therefore comes out at 24 to 1. You can find out these prices and more on the Paddy Power website or app. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, That's just about it for this week. Before we go, in honour of all the on-pitch brawling we saw this weekend, I want to know who's your first pick to be on your side should it kick off in a fictional game that you're playing. Um, Clark, you're my last pick after what you've told us about your uh, timidness in your career. <laughs> Who are you choosing to have on your side and, and why is it Steve Evans? For, for, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking through my old teammates and the, the one that one that stands out is Big John Hartson. You definitely say, come on, John, come with me. Come with me. I'll, 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 um, I'll, I'll come in on the back of you. But he was just so hard. Just a really nice guy off the pitch. Just, just, just a gentle soul. But... But when he flipped, he was scary. He was scary. I, I fouled him once in training and and he sought revenge. He sought revenge on me and he 
I think it was a shoulder barge and it was just embarrassing. He, he, I reckon he knocked me, I don't know, seven, eight yards, like just with a simple shoulder barge. <laughs> I, I was like, everyone just laughed. And this was, a, this was only in training. I don't even think he put, put everything into it. So yeah, big John Hartson, definitely I'd, I'd like to wade in with him by my side. Uh, Michelle, you blew our socks off with your Wayne Rooney Glasto anecdote last time we were on. Is Wazza the person you're picking to have by your side? Should it kick off? <laughs> no, um, he only bumped into me because he was dancing. He wasn't. He wasn't being aggressive. Um, Roy Keane. It's just as soon as I was asked, that's what he sprang to mind. And for me, like such a iconic player of my childhood. But not only you know for his ability on the pitch, but for how scary he was in anything or any incident that ever happened. You know, as a kid, I'd be absolutely petrified of the guy. And even when you see him in the Sky Sports studio now, I'd be wary to get on the wrong side of him. I just remember, I think Shearer threw, maybe threw a ball at him. There was something going on at the corner flag um, at St. James's Park. And I think he just threw a punch. He didn't care. He just lamped Alan Shearer, which sticks in my mind. I think early noughties, that was. And um, I've read all sorts about him. Obviously, the infamous attack on Halland, which he said consequently was deliberate. I think he got into a bust up with Peter Smichael, who's not exactly small, is he? So you don't care. He'll take anyone on. So if he's on your side, I'd imagine that's a very good thing. Yeah, word has it that he took some people on at my local when he first joined Forest and got barred on the first time he'd ever been <laughs> into said pub. Uh, you must be picking Jamie Redknapp then, Sam, are you? If Michelle's going for Roy Keane. <laughs> no, it was quite funny though, wasn't it? I enjoyed that. Um, I could go with Razor Ruddock for comedy value, but um, <laughs> Razor's quite, he was quite gentle in my experience. Um, so... I'm going to go for this chap, a former teammate of mine, because he, in keeping with this show, he's got a brilliant nickname. It is Richard Naylor at Ipswich, who was Bam Bam, the little tough son in the in the Flintstones. <laughs> Flintstones. And yeah, he was ripped. And he told me what to do a few times in the dressing room and had a go at me. And I said, absolutely nothing. And I did exactly what I was told. <laughs> so yeah, great nickname. Really nice guy, but very strong boy as well. Uh, regular listeners will not be surprised to learn that I'm going for Alex Neal just because I want him on my side, not against me. Please, Alex, don't. Yeah, sorry, hurt mate. Me. Nathan Jones was my answer, actually. Sorry. <laughs> Nathan Jones with a snowball or whatever it was. <laughs> Uh, good stuff many thanks to Sam to Adrian to Michelle and to producer Abby she'll be back with George and Ali for the Turkey Football League show Extra Time on Thursday do join them if you can we'll catch up with you again same time next week but for now though from all of us here it's goodbye you've been listening to the Totally Football League show part of the Athletic Podcast Network keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Finding it difficult to get off to sleep? Well, you are not alone. After a long day of Zoom, doom and gloom, it's hard to relax and just drop off. Maybe you need a bedtime story. I know, there's a lot of them out there. They ask you to imagine that you're laying on a lily of contentedness, drifting upon a lake of calm, holding hands with the otter of placidity. Our one isn't like that. It's a football bedtime story, and it sounds like this. When Brian Clough arrived at Nottingham Forest in January 1975, they were a mediocre provincial club whose most recent success was winning the FA Cup in 1959. But they were 13th in the old second division now. Clough, too, was damaged goods. So give it a go tonight. Subscribe to Football Bedtime Stories on your favourite podcast provider now. The Athletic.